Thank you for being here this morning. We are going to continue in our sermon series on priorities this morning. Growing up, my mom said that it's a four-letter word. That's the way she described it. And I thought that four-letter words were all bad words that you are never going to say, that, that, that you never want anyone to hear come out of your mouth. But what she meant was, is that it's not always pleasurable. It's not always exactly what you want to do, but you have to do it. She says, it's work. And work is work. And... She said, work sometimes is like a, a four-letter word because it's not always pleasurable, but it's work. So in our sermon series, we've been looking at the, the priorities or what should be the priorities of a Christian life. And, and just to recap, God should always be number one. So if God is not in that number one position, we need to work on that. Number two, who remembers number two? Family. Family, we're talking immediate family, is your number two priority. Number three priority, we went over this last week. Number three priority must be the church. And now I'm talking, I'm not talking about being here at, at, at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. What I'm talking about is a place to belong. We all need a place to belong. We, we, we desire a place to belong. God has created a place for us to belong in the church. And if this isn't where you're going to belong, somebody else is going to invite you to belong somewhere else. And it might not be godly and healthy, right? The fourth priority that we are going to look at today, and this is so important, it's the priority of work. And why we're looking at this, and why it is in this number four spot, and we need to pay attention, is because some people, and you know who they are, and you might be one of them, have put work in the number one priority position. You know anyone who's ever done that? You say, works, you know, what the, who do, do we know anyone who works too much? Probably. Do you know somebody in your family who you wish didn't work as much? Probably. Who, who do you know that puts the priority of work above the priority of family? Some of us have done that. And there's some of us that might still do that. But remember in our priority list, there's only one thing above the priority of family and that's God, right? Work is not supposed to be our first priority, our second or our third priority, but it is a priority. On our list, there is only one number one priority. And here's the thing, is that whatever is number one, your number one priority influences everything else. God is going to influence your family priority. God is going to influence your church priority. He's going to influence your work priority. What happens when work is number one? Work starts influencing all of your other priorities. You see how that works? It means your family life, your church life, your self-care life. When work is going to influence your church life, now we... we, we, we really might have a problem. And we see that a lot in family life. That's the one that sticks out the most to us more often. Let me ask this. How many times have you had to miss a family dinner because of work? How many times have you 
had to miss church on Sunday or maybe a small group during the week because of work. Now, I'm not saying that it is a bad thing. We all have to work. We all need to work. We were designed to work. But there are times when we choose to work and we should be somewhere else. Let me tell you a secret. And this is the first point in your notes this morning. For those of you joining us for the first time, on the back of your bulletin, there's some fill in the blanks. I'm going to give you those fill in the blanks. They're gonna be up here on the screen as well. Point number one in your notes this morning is this. Just as easily as we can say no to family because we have to be at work, we can say no to work because we have to be with family. Same thing. We tell our family, and sometimes we find it more comfortable to tell our family, I, 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 have, to, I have to work. We find that more comfortable than we do telling our boss, I have to be with my family. My family is priority number two, and I need to be there. That's pretty common that we fall into that trap. Sometimes we just cannot say no. And I want you to say this out loud with me. No, I can't make it to work because I have dinner plans with the family. Can you say that out loud with me? I wish I could put it on the screen. No, I can't make it to work because I have dinner plans with the family. Okay, so here's the thing. We can say those words. And I know that, that you'll say, well, I'm saying it in a church and, and it's easier here than it is to say to my boss. But we know that we can say those words and sometimes we must say those words. Sometimes we have to say those words, but, but we don't. We're more nervous about how work is going to respond to us spending time with family than we are nervous about how family is going to respond to us spending time at work because we've built a culture at home they know that we've got to work and that we do this often, but we don't go and build that culture at work that says, I can't be here, I need to be with my family. Some people say, I go to work because I love work. I really do love my job, and it's okay to love your job. It really is. That, that, that means you found your mission and, and you do that at work. It's okay to love your job. It is not okay to love your job first. It's not okay. Your family's number two. Behind God, work is number four on your priority list. I was reading a story earlier this week about a gentleman who unretired. He had come to a point in, in his career in the late 50s, I believe, and it was one of those injuries at work, and they said, well, you know what, you're close enough and we can't have you back, so just go ahead and retire. And his lesson in this story was, there are things about retirement that I did not realize, and there's things that I just don't want to do as being retired. Now think about this, you're going from working all the time, that was his job, he enjoyed that, to all of a sudden one day you wake up and you don't have to go through that routine of getting ready anymore. You've got nowhere to go at eight o'clock. And he said the first thing that I struggled with was the fact that I'm having a hard time being alone. It was in his house, okay, that's understandable. He says, I'm not finding any place to belong 
because that was my culture and that's understandable as well. He said, my mental health and my body are deteriorating because I'm not active anymore. So he did, he unretired. He was in a position to where he could take now what he enjoyed doing and find a job that let him do that in his retirement, unretirement stage in life, which was great. But he just said, he said, I cannot, I just can't stay idle. I can't do it. Do you know what happens when we stay idle? We waste things. We waste things. We waste energy when we stay idle. Now, when I was a kid, there would never be an instance where my dad would go out into the driveway, turn the car on to let it either cool down or warm up before you got in it. I do that all the time. I really, it's hot, right? It's hot outside. So, but he would say, you can't do that because it, the car is going to idle and it is just wasting gas. That, that was his reasoning, and, and I won't argue that. He says it's just wasting. When we are idle, we can waste resources very, very easily. Let me ask you this. What if the church was idle? What if the church did nothing? What if the church refused to work? As a church, we have a job, right? We were designed, every single one of us were designed to work. We were designed in God's image. We're, we're, we're told that, right? And what did God do for the first six days that we've met him, that we know of him? He's been there a lot longer than that. But what did he do for his first six days? He worked. That's, that's what he did. And then he rested and he shows us that we can work and, and rest. Jesus Jesus was a, a carpenter, and in those days, it was pretty common for a son to follow in the father's footsteps. Whatever the father did, you learn that trade, and you go on, and, and that's what you're going to do. So he had supported himself. It helped support the family. So he is a carpenter, and he works. A lot of the disciples were fishermen, and being a fisherman is Work. If you've ever been fishing with me, you know that fishing is work. Because there's a lot of sitting around and not a whole lot of catching anything. But, it, but it's work, so that is a job. The apostle Paul was a tent maker and he worked with leather. So wherever he went, he was a, in ministry and he also worked. Matthew, one of the disciples, was a tax collector. That's a job. In the New Testament, we hear of a, a lady by the name of Lydia. Lydia sold, uh, she sold purple dye. Now, if you're a seller of purple dye, it typically means that you have money, it's a very expensive product, but she was a merchant. She worked. We are all to work. I'm gonna go all the way back to Genesis chapter one here, and it'll be up here on your screen. Genesis chapter one, verse number 26 says this, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. Write this down, this is point number two in your notes this morning. Being made in the image of God, 
means that we share many of his qualities, including the ability and the obligation to work. We're made in the image of God. That means more than the fact that we are all beautiful and we are all wonderfully made, but it means we share in his qualities, in many of his qualities. We were made and we were designed to work. And we've already talked about God working, but the earliest, the earliest man, first guy, I'm in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 15, talking about Adam. Then the Lord placed the man in the garden of Eden, watch this, to tend and watch over it. Tending a garden. Okay, maybe it's more than your backyard hobby garden, right? I mean, this was, this was a massive garden. Plus, he had, he had work to do. He had to, he, you know, he's tending these trees, pruning different kinds of trees, and he's watching over it. As soon as he was created, he had a job. He had work to do. One of the first things he had to do was he had to name all of the animals. Now, that in itself, to me, would be kind of a chore. And I wonder where he got a name like the red-lipped batfish. Like, how did you come up with this? Were you just lazy that day? I mean, is it a fish or a bat or what? But, you know, so he, he just, he has to name the animals. And then he has to tend the garden. And that's work. We were not designed to lay around and do nothing. We were designed to work. We were, we were designed to be self-supportive, to be able to take care of ourselves. Very few people on earth were created, were made to live with full reliance on other people. There are some in our society who are, and I understand that, but most of us are not made that way. We are made to work. Some of you have, some of you have maybe never had that job that you really enjoy, that job that you really love. But for those of you who do and who have had that job, you know that that can be, that, that can be a pleasure, that it can be an enjoyable time to go to work. Do you know that you spend 40% of your life at work? 40%. Now, if we were to add in the, the sleeping hours, that's, I mean, look at what's left. And now the Facebook hours, and, and, and now staring at a screen, right? I mean, but that's a lot of time. 40% of your life, that's a lot of time at work. You probably have heard of people or seen stories on television about people who have, who have won the lottery and there's a lot of money coming their way all at once, right? We've seen those stories and every time that there's a jackpot around here, you hear about somebody won $3 million in Moreno Valley, somebody ran, uh, won $10 million in Ontario. And, and, and what, what most of people will say, and you might know somebody who every single week goes down to the market to buy their scratchers or to get their ticket. You know anyone who's habitual with their tickets, right? I mean, they're, they're people who are. The number one reason that they say 
you know what? I want to hit this. I want to win this. I want that. So I don't have to work anymore. Because if I win the, the lottery, if I have this money come in, I'm not going to have to work anymore. It's not so much that they don't want to work anymore. It's that they don't want to work for somebody else anymore. They want to have more control. We have this idea that, it, that if we have control of our money, then we have, we have more control of our lives. But every one of us have heard the stories that come after that of the people who won the lottery and it ruined their life. The people who, who came into, came into to money somehow, maybe it was a, an accident and there was a settlement and they've got this money now and it ruined their life. And, and part of it is, is that we don't know how to, to manage what we now have. I'll be 100% honest with you. I do not know how to be a millionaire. I, I wouldn't know how to be a millionaire. I really wouldn't. I wouldn't know because I haven't lived that life. I, I don't know how to financially steward a large amount of money. And what happens, we see people who come into that large amount of money very quickly, didn't work for it, got lucky for it, and don't know how to manage it. Let me tell you something about value. You value things that you work for. Now, if you didn't work for that four, five, six million dollars, probably not going to value it as much as that four, five, or six million dollars that you did work for. Let's say that you went and you bought, you bought your family some tickets, some tickets at the Dodger game, okay? And, and you, you spent a lot of money on these tickets, and you're sitting right there on the first baseline, three rows in, okay? Tons of money that you spent. But then I come along and I'm going to give you the seats right next to you. Same amount of seats, I'm gonna give you those right there. Let me ask you, when you go to that game, what seats are you gonna sit in? Chances are the ones that you paid for because you value them, right? That's what happens. The, the free ones, you might even start giving those away. You might see somebody outside that says, hey, you have any extra tickets? And you say, yeah, I've got, I've got some extra tickets. And you might give them away because there's no value because you didn't work for them. See, working, it, 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 it just gives us, it shows us what we are working for. And now we have value in it. Do you know who can tell that your work is your number one priority? You know who, who else can tell that? Your boss can tell that. You know why? Your boss knows that you are here every weekend when he asks. He knows that when, when he needs somebody to work overtime, he can come to you because you're reliable and you're going to be there. Your boss knows that and he might even be taking advantage of that. He knows that. He knows that he can get you to cave and move work into priority number two. He knows he can. He's got some leverage. Your family knows that your work is number one because your family knows that they are not. God knows that your work is number one because God knows that he is not. Ooh, that's hard, huh? God knows that your work is number one because God can tell he knows that he is not. Your body Yourself, your well-being knows that work is number one 
because it is not. Now, we're not putting your body and, and your family in the number one position, but they probably need to be higher than they are in your priority list. See, there's a difference between working and having money. There's a lot of people who work, work a lot. There's people who, who work every day of their life and they don't have money. They, they don't have it. We prioritize our work, but we don't prioritize our understanding of how to manage our finance. God gave us this. He gave us this work and he gave us what we, he gave us our paycheck but if we don't know how to manage that, we're going to waste it. Or we can waste it, right? The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, right? In our world, the wages of your labor, of your work, the wages is your paycheck. What we earn with sin is death without the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's what we earn. What we earn with our work is finance. We, 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 we earn money so that we can take care of us. Sometimes we say, wow, we just work, 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 and, and, and we, can never, we can never get ahead. Let me tell you something. That job that you hate, God provided it for you. That job... God provided, because remember, God loves you. He cares about you more than the lilies in the field. He cares about you more than the birds in the air. He says, he says, trust me and I'll take care of your needs. And sometimes our needs require us to go to a job that we hate, that God has provided for us so that we can earn the income that we need to take care of our number Three, our church priority, our family priority, and to be obedient to God, our first priority. He said he'll provide for us. He never told us, though, that we're going to have our favorite job and the best job, but he told us to, to work. What happens when your work priority, that should be number four, what happens when that starts dropping in your list? And we all know somebody who has work as like their number 10 or 20 or their number 30th priority, right? We know somebody who, who puts a strain on others because their priorities are not properly aligned. Write this down. This is point number three in your notes this morning. If your work priority is not in its correct spot, you are putting pressure on somebody else to pull your weight. If your work priority is not in its proper spot, you're putting pressure on somebody else. It might be somebody who you know. It might be somebody at your house. It might be society. It might be, maybe, maybe it is the government, but you're putting pressure on somebody else to pull your weight. I'm in 2 Thessalonians. I'm in chapter number 3, verse number 10. Watch this. This is Paul. And he says, even when we were with you, he, he was on mission and he had stopped at this church, okay? He says, even when we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. That's what the Bible is saying. You don't work, you don't eat. Like, we really don't, don't manage our culture off of those kind of um, rules anymore. But I will tell you that there are places in this world that we never see, except on doc documentaries, that if you don't work, you don't eat. 
That's how we were designed. We were designed to work. But there are so many people in our culture, and you might know somebody who says, I, I can work, I know how to work, but I, would, I enjoy doing other things a little more than working, and I'm just going to lay around and mooch. Happens. With our technology these days, we, we can find ourselves stuck just binge watching whatever it happens to be that's on TV. We can end up playing on our phones all the time. Unfortunately, we get very comfortable in our solitude and we find that somebody else is taking care of us. I'm, I'm, I'm okay for a little bit. And we forget that somebody else is taking care of us and how we can become a burden on others. Imagine the cavemen. Imagine if the cavemen just decided that, you know what, eh, we're not going to hunt. We're actually, I'm just, I'm just going to hang out here in the cave and draw pictures on the wall. I'm just going to paint pictures up here on the wall, I'm gonna kick it here in my caveman hammock and, and you know, play with my pet elephant here, and I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna lounge around, okay? I'm not gonna do anything. What do you think would happen? Well, the walls would be nice and colorful. The elephant would have a friend, sure, but there would be no meat. There would be nothing to eat. If the men in those situations didn't go to work, eventually there would be, be an eviction notice on the front door of their cave, right? Those are the things that happen when we, when we don't work. And then you're going to watch, guys, and, and, and I know we hate this, you're going to watch the cave wife. She's going to go out and she's going to go get another job because you're not going to do anything. Caveman, you're just painting pictures up on the walls and you're spending your entire 20s on your Xbox happens, happens in our culture. I want you to see what else we see in the book of Proverbs about laziness. That's the opposite of working purposefully is, is laziness. I'm in Proverbs chapter 18, verse number nine, says, one who is slack in his work is a brother to one who destroys. Think about it. Who destroys? We know that Satan destroys a lot, right? But we also know people in our, in our lives and in our lifestyles who are not working to benefit society at all. Really, when you're, when you're mooching, you are destroying something. And Proverbs is saying, for that person who is slack in their work, for that person who is lazy, you're really becoming a brother to whatever it is that, that is destroying, destroying cultures, destroying your family. And that hurts everyone. Whoever is lazy, it's as if you are a close, close relative to whatever else it is that is hurting your family. Remember the influences? God, family, church, work, that means that something else up the ladder of priorities isn't in its right place because you're not prioritizing your work. Write this down. This is the last point in your notes this morning. God never designed us or gave us permission to be lazy. He didn't. 
God never designed us to be lazy. He designed us to work. Just four chapters back in the book of Proverbs, we read this. I'm in Proverbs 14, verse number 23. There is profit in all hard work, but endless talk leads only to poverty. There's profit in work. You work, something comes out of that. We, we, you are rewarded for your work. But let me tell you, there is not much that comes out of just simply talking or talking about work. Really, what it's saying is if, if all you're doing is talking and not working, that's going to lead to poverty. That's not going to bring in a reward at all. And there's a whole lot, there's a whole lot of people who are waiting for that job that they can get just talking. Let me, let me tell you, there's not a whole lot of jobs that are just talking that pay very much money, that are really going to support a family. Have you ever heard the saying that talk is cheap? Yeah, because talking doesn't pay very well. It really doesn't. There's work to be done. We're gonna stick in Proverbs for another moment because there's so many amazing wisdom lessons out of this book when it comes to work. I'm in Proverbs chapter 13, verse number 11. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. Remember that lottery winner? Man, that money has gone quick. You'll hear that from a lot of, of uh, sports athletes that make it to the show. And here comes this money. They were never raised with this kind of money. They don't know how to manage this kind of money, but it's, it's get rich quick. It, it's, and, and we fall into that too. Is that sometimes that's what we want, but what happens is that money is going to dwindle because we don't know how to manage it. And it will, it will, it will ruin lives because we didn't grow our wealth systematically. See, here's our job. Learn a trade, work, you're going to have money coming in, and now you can grow. You can grow your house, you can take the next step, and now you can get more, and you can learn how to do that, and there's more money that comes with that, and you can learn how to manage that. And, you, and everything grows together, that's really important. But just dropping money on your house, let me tell you, it's not gonna solve all your problems. It might create more problems than it solves. Just, just think about growing this church itself. If somebody were to drop $3 million here at the church, we can say, you know what? Yeah, we can go and build our own building somewhere. It'll be great. The air conditioner will work. And, and, and we're going we're gonna to put a ton of money into marketing. You know what's going to happen? This is going to fail very, very fast if we don't build the structure. See, slow growth helps you build the structure that you need to be able to get where the Lord is leading you. Imagine if we took the volunteers that we have here today, but we put 2,000 people in a church with this amount of volunteers. Probably isn't going to work very well, right? So you've got to, we, we, we grow and we work and we learn as you're going. Let me tell you about somebody else who's working right now. Jesus is working. I'm actually going to read you half a chapter here. 
Because I can go straight to the main thesis verse of this, but without the background, it's just another verse. I am in John chapter 5, and I'm going to read you verses 1 through 17. It'll be up on the screen as well. After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. By the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there's a pool called Bethsaida in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and, and realized he had been there a long time, he said to him, do, do you want to get well? Sir, this disabled man answered, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, somebody goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got up, picked up his mat, and started walking. Now, that day was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. Hold on just a second. This guy has not picked up a mat in 38 years, right? And the first thing that the church leaders say is, you're prohibited from, from doing that. I'm in verse 11. He replied, the man who made me uh, well told me to pick it up. He said, pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you pick up your mat and walk, they asked. But the man who had healed who was healed didn't know because Jesus had slipped into the crowd that was there. After this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. And the man went and reported it to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And Jesus responded to him, here's the thesis first I want you to, to see. My father is still working and I am working also. You hear that? God the Father in heaven is working, Jesus is working also. This is why the Jews began all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. This is what we call legalism. The Jews were sticking to their rules that they had created and said, you cannot do work on the Sabbath. So here there's two instances. One, a guy picks up his mat and he's walking home. He's never done that before. The church leaders are going to gnaw on him for doing that because that is work. You're not supposed to work then. And then they're mad at Jesus now because he healed a man on the Sabbath. I wonder if anyone has had to go to the ER to urgent care on a Sunday. If anyone has ever needed medical attention, these guys here would be against you going because that means that somebody has to work. I'll tell you what, sometimes I'm very glad that there are people in the medical profession who are working on a Sunday when I need them or I need to take my children somewhere, right? If God the Father in heaven is working right now, and if you and I are made in the image of God, we also are to be working. We are showing God's image in all that we do. We work because we were designed to work. Every one of us here has two legs, 
has two arms, has two ears, and, and we've been given a God-given skill and the ability to use this skill in a way to be able to support ourselves and work to support others in our family. If we had a biblical work schedule that we followed, we would work for six days, we would take off a day and rest. We would work for six days, we would take off a day and rest. We're following God's example. We all have an ability and a gift that God gave to you to work. I bet if I were to start talking about your career or what you want to do in your career, we would hear things. I would hear things I know like, Oh, you know what, I just don't want to work in front of a crowd, I'm not good at public speaking, or I don't want to do, I'm not good at doing repetitious work, or, you know, I'm not good at physical labor, that's not for me, or, or maybe just working by myself, that's not for me, or working with a big group of people, maybe that's not for me, or, or maybe you say, I'm not, I'm not good in front of, of just big, big crowds, I'm not good working under pressure, or some people say, I'm not good working without pressure. We know what we are not good at. We know that. But God gave you an ability, something that you are good at, you might not like, but something that you are good at that maybe other people aren't good at. He's given you a gift. He has given you something that you can do for work. We're almost done, I promise you. I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 31 says this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Do everything for the glory of God. Let me ask you, at work, wherever it is that you work, where your physical actions are there in exchange for finance, are you glorifying God at your work and by your work? You may not have ever thought about your work this way. Do I glorify God in my work? If you don't, maybe it is time for another job. Maybe it is time to, to look at a different direction. Maybe it is time for a different crowd. Let me ask this. Can other people who you work with know that church is priority three and God is priority number one in your life? Do other people know that? Do they know that Jesus is the saving grace that leads to an eternity with God the Father. Do they know that? Have we told them that? Can we tell them that? Do we feel comfortable telling them that? And if we did tell them that, would they be able to look at us and say, you know what, you're right, I see that in your lifestyle. The way you act and the way that, that, that you know, what you do, affirms for me what you are saying. Would people at work know that? If you brought people from work, priority number four, and you brought them to church, which is priority number three, and you asked them to sit here with your family, which is priority number two, so that you could all worship God together, who's priority number one, would the people from work recognize who you are at church as the same person as you are at work? Would they recognize you? 
See, everything we do, we are to bring glory to God. Does church, family, and God influence your work? Or is it the other way around? Is work influencing church, family, and God? See, the question is, which one does God glorify? And which one are we glorifying God in? If work is our number one priority, how can we glorify something above number one? We can't. If work is number two, then that means our family priorities are glorifying our work priorities. Having this list in order and correct in our lives is so important. Remember, everything that you do, I'm going to leave you with this, everything that you do is in obedience to someone or something. Everything that you do is in obedience to somebody, someone, or something. And everything you do will glorify someone or something. Think about that. Everything that you do is going to glorify someone or something. Who is it that you are glorifying by your work? Who are you glorifying when you serve? Volunteering at the church... Maybe this is in your number three priority, or maybe you look at it as work. It's church, it's belonging. That can fall into your number three priority. Because it's church. But work is in our top five. It might be, it might be a four-letter word. But we were designed to work. We can't shy away from it. We weren't designed to be lazy. God's not lazy. Jesus doesn't sit around. Everything he did was work for us. You know what God's number one priority is? Us, his church. You know what he works for? Us, his church. God's got to be number one. Work, number four priority. My prayer this week is that you will continue to reevaluate your priority list. And what is where? Write them down. Go back and listen to the last five sermons on the podcast. If you need to know exactly what is what and where is where, if you missed any of them, go back. This is an important sermon series. Will you pray with me?